If you will, I'd like to pray. And uh, thank you, Rick, for being here. Father, we just thank you for this day. We're not used to this heat in Vermont, but we thank you that we get a little bit of heat so that when it's 20 below, we can say, well, I was warm once. And it's nice, Lord. It's nice to live in Vermont. We thank you for this beautiful state. We apologize, Lord, for the church's abandonment of the uh, responsibility we had to be light and salt in a culture that has now almost completely abandoned you. And we know that Rick is here to speak to us about our responsibility as Christians to stand for truth and righteousness. And I thank you that a man of this caliber has come and was willing to speak to us. Thank you for this time that he's taken out of his busy, busy uh, days. Protect him, Lord, as he travels, help him to get back home safely, we pray. And we thank you, Lord. Be a special messenger through him to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Now, I have a bit of his uh, write-up that I'd already sent you. Uh, and I don't know how much I should read to you, uh, but uh, from 1990 until 2002, Rick served as a senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Pearl Land in Houston, Texas. Is Pearl Land the name of the church? Or a... Pearl Land. Is that uh, just a little subdivision outside of Houston? It, it, when I looked at it, it was 19,000, self-contained. It's now about 150,000. Wow. Well, and, and I guess you'll tell that story. Uh, in a little bit. Are you going to go over some of what you did yes. on Friday? Okay, I won't, I won't steal your vision. Then. 1998, he founded Vision, Vision America. He's been involved with Focus for the Family in 2016. He gave the reins of Vision America to subordinate and took a position in Washington, D.C. as the Skyline, D.C. Executive Director with the assignment to lead Bible studies with government officials. That would scare me to death. I don't know about you. He conducted studies with members of Congress and the State Department and the Pentagon, as well as personally discipling members of the World Bank. After Beto O'Rourke came within 1.6 percentage points of defeating Senator Cruz, uh, it just says Scarborough moved, uh, Rick moved back to Texas to mobilize pastors. That event was a catalyst for Rick to return to Houston and start Recover America Now. He's traveled extensively and is viewed by some conservative leaders as a Christian right leader in 2006 and 2009, Dr. Scarborough, oh, sorry, Rick, please come and speak to us. You got nothing, nothing, nothing but friends here at Grace. Nothing but friends. You take your coffee? No, that's water. That's my water. I'll take my water. Yeah, you might make a mistake and drink from it. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, for those of you that are watching by Zoom, there are literally thousands here. They're out on the streets. We've got, I'm just joking, of course. I, I I couldn't be happier to be here. Your pastor and his wife are a joy to be around. I hope you know how fortunate you are, and I hope you, you you're undergirding him in prayer with this battle he's now fighting with cancer. I'm fully believing, Brother Bob, God's going to deliver you through that, make you stronger as a result of that. My voice is a little raspy. I've spoken several times over the last couple of days, and several hundred times before I got here. So. I fight uh, laryngitis, or I should say raspy voice, uh, pretty normally. Uh, I'm going to do a little different than you're accustomed to. I'm going to treat you just like I would if I were in a church of 10,000. We're going to talk about the culture. Uh, we don't talk about it enough in the church. Somehow, we've all, uh, so many in the church compartmentalize their lives. And they uh, think that, you know, this part of my life is religious and 
this part of my life is secular and never shall the twain meet. I remind Christians everywhere I go that you are the church. It's not this building. It's not these pews. You're the church. We live in a country very unique in that you are also the state uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people, Abraham Lincoln uh, said notably. And he was, he was literally reciting the truth. One of the first things I noticed when I come to Middlebury was the beautiful statue in the middle of town that uh, in my heart palpitated a little bit. I, I took a picture of it. Uh, I didn't try to tear it down, even though that was the wrong, that was the wrong team. You know, our, in our part of the country, we memorialize the Southern generals. But, you know, both, you know, we came through that and God united us again as a country, one nation under God, not several nations under God. We're losing all of that. I want to take you to a couple of texts. We won't read them exhaustively. My first edition of the book, Enough is Enough, of which it's been rewritten, and the, the current edition is available. I brought a few copies. I brought several books. Uh, I've, I've written a number uh, in the back of the church, on the very back pew, a few copies of the latest book, Mighty Men, Stay on Track. It was written uh, as a memorial to my daughter who died at age 25. She was a World-class long-distance runner, one achieved a lot, uh, appeared on the cover of Texas Runners World magazine and uh, ran for two different universities, University of Houston and then later Stephen F. Austin State University where she walked on in both cases was one of the, the, the leading uh, long-distance runners and they won conference championships uh, in both schools when she was running. Her aspirations were the Olympics, uh, but God had another plan and we lost her at age 25. And so I preached a series of messages while she was still alive on, on the Olympics, while I was pastor of First Baptist Pearland. I went back and got the manuscripts, turned them into uh, to transcripts, and uh, we uh, I built a whole series around the Olympic Games that were being played in, I think, 96. But I took a different, uh, uh, a different one of the um, contests, applied spiritual truths to it, and showed how the parallels were. Well... When I wrote the book, Mighty Men Stay on Track, I dedicated to her memory, stay on track, uh, mighty men, after the order of the mighty men who, who uh, honored and served under David, and talk in the book about how we again need to be reminded of what manhood is. Men are being emasculated now. And, uh, I, I saw a child yesterday, not in this city, I hope he wasn't kin to you, uh, but I, I've never seen a kid so wrapped up I mean, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet while he was riding his bicycle. I don't know how he did it. But I mean, he had elbow pads and knee pads and mask and a big old helmet bigger than normal that came all the way down. And I thought, dear Lord, this poor kid, if he falls down, he'll never get up. Kind of like one of the knights in the, of old. You know, they fell down, so I had to help him up. Well, we're, we're not letting little boys be little boys. I watched a... a Oh, I, when I was a kid, you know, we, we jumped off the highest pinnacle. That top, we love two-story houses because we dare each other to jump off. And I'm not advocating we go back to that. In our, in our neighborhood, there were two or three kids that didn't have little toes because they'd been riding on the back of somebody's bicycle and got them in, in, the, uh, in the webbing of, of the bike and off they went. And uh, they, they just were known for having three toes. And, folks, let children be children. And, and that's, but we, we're losing that in America. Uh, and we're letting someone else write the script. 
Two big portions of scripture, I would, uh, one large portion of scripture I would urge you to read before the day is over. We'll read just a couple of verses out of, out of, uh, two uh, out of the chapter there. But I also want you to turn, turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy 28 and also 2 Chronicles 7.14. I didn't stand during the song service because I do have uh, an issue with my back. Uh, not, it's minor, but I have, to, I have to be wise in how I use it. When I travel like this and I have to carry boxes of books, it always begins to give me trouble. Uh, I'm looking at Deuteronomy 28, but also 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And I will say uh, directly uh, to Bob and Linda, thank you for inviting me to your church. It is a privilege to be here. You know, there are no small churches. There are churches with less attendance than others. Uh, but there are no small churches. The church is the church. And um, we can't think of ourselves as being limited because of our numbers. We've got to think like God thinks. Uh, God put this church in this town to transform this community. And um, whether or not you have other churches with similar beliefs that will unite with you uh, is a question I can't answer. But I believe there is power in numbers when it comes to voting and things of that sort. I believe it is, a, it is a sin for a Christian not to vote. And I'll be glad to discuss that with you if you like. If you know the verse, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Amen? Or oh me. And uh, I'm not going to check the rules, but I bet you some of you won't vote because you're not even registered. The majority of Christians are not voting. That's why our nation is failing. You have this church where your beliefs are shaped. The left does not go to church. Their church is politics. Their church is, is uh, the Green New Deal. That's, what they, that's the altar where they worship. And whether it's rational or not, uh, they're de dedicated to their God. And they're going to impose their God on you if you don't rise up and take your country back. Now, I will likely never be in this church again. So I'm going to preach to you just like I would if I were in First Baptist Church of Houston our second Baptist church, the church I attend, which has 80,000 members and is growing. We've baptized over 1,000 uh, this year. Um, that's, by the way, that's how you change your culture. Win them to Jesus. When is the last time you told somebody about Jesus? What time do I have to quit? Tell me the, the ending time. What, what time do we have to quit? Uh, three o'clock. Three o'clock, okay. I, well, they taught me in seminary... If you want to be popular, always have the crowd out by 12, and I can do that, I promise you. You can do 12. All right, uh, would you stand not of God's Word? Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, I memorize this in King James, and so I may, I'm, I'm reading from the NIV, by the way. What translation do you use here? King James. All right. Uh, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and one of the phrases is, is, and pray, I may have got that out of order, then I will what? Hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal whose land? Their land. Does America need a healing? Absolutely. Who's responsible for that? Not the world, the church. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... You know, we always want the wicked to turn from their wicked ways. But we've got to examine ourselves. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, fill their land. Now let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. In the first edition of Enough is Enough, I devoted a full chapter 
uh, to walking through this. We won't have time today. But just the first, the first few verses and then down at verse 15. If you, beginning with verse 1, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow His commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will... <coughs> Pardon me. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you, accompany you, if you obey the Lord your God. And then you read the list of blessings and you read the history of America when she was walking with God. Uh, this was written, of course, to the nation of Israel. But the principles are timeless. Now look at verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then He lists all the curses that follow all the way down to mental illness, which we're experiencing right now in such uh, horrific uh, measures. Beloved, the problem lies within the church and those who call the name of Christ. There are churches in this city, this community, bragging about things that are an abomination to God. And I'll let your mind carry you uh, to the conclusion I'm alluding to. It's time for the church to be the church. Let's pray Father, I thank you for the joy of being in this pulpit today. I thank you that I stand in the shadow of a great man who has devoted his life to this community. I praise you, Lord, that he has never wavered in preaching truth and standing for righteousness, no matter what the cost. And I pray now that you might honor him and bless him and heal him and extend his life, Lord, with goodness and abundance. I pray in Jesus' name for the healing of Bob Henley. And I ask you, Lord, to raise up prayer warriors to intercede so that this cancer be removed from his body and his life be extended. Pray for his wife as well. Continue to strengthen her as she is his helpmate in this place. Lord, I pray for the faithful families that make this church. For those that are sheltered right now and watching by Zoom, I pray more and more would come back to the building for you told us not to abandon the gathering of ourselves together as the manner of some. And all the more to be together as we see the day approaching. What day? The day of your imminent return. Lord, we're living in those days now. Pray in Jesus' name for clarity in my faults and delivery. Help me not to, to uh, in any way err from what you want. I pray that in Jesus' name. I want all of you standing and those who are watching uh, by internet to pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart this morning. Now let's pray that together. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart this morning. Now, Father, we pray that in Jesus' name and all the people said, Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to walk you through a series of slides um, that I've shown uh, in a number of places. The second slide is a little self-indulgent. It's a slide taken uh, from a, a documentary created by uh, ES, excuse me, <laughs> CNN, in which they dogged me for months with cameras, recorded everything I said everywhere I spoke. And uh, that's, uh, that'll keep you on your toes. That'll, that'll make a prayer warrior out of you. At the same time, another group from HBO, uh, under the leadership of Nancy Pelosi's daughter, I didn't know it at the time, but Andrea Pelosi also produced a second documentary that appeared on HBO called uh, Friends of God. Both were attack pieces on 
those of us who were speaking to issues of the culture, both were intended to destroy my ministry, God's ministry. But you know what happened? Discerning Christians across the country saw through the attack and realized that we were preaching and teaching truth. And all it did was enlarge our ministry. Now, frankly, after about 25 years of that kind of hounding, uh, I had a chance to go to Washington, D.C., which uh, Pastor Bob told you about, and I thought I'd miss pastoring. And I thought, what a grand way to finish. Go and disciple members of Congress. And so uh, we uh, made an arrangement with, don with fun funders to travel back and forth. We kept our home in Nacogdoches, Texas, where we were living at the time, two mile, uh, about 100 miles north of Houston. I, I would fly into Houston, get my car and drive home, be home for the weekend and go right back and repeat that on Monday, just like our congressional leaders do. And I learned a lot about how much of a cost they pay to be our leaders in Washington, D.C. At a wonderful condo, when the Supreme Court met, I could see the, wind, the light on in the windows because I was right across the street from them. When they exited their private parking, their light shone into our condo. That's where we live, at the corner of 2nd Street and, um, and uh, A Street. And um, it was, a, it was a, a, an interesting time, to say the least. Uh, I met with... Uh, leaders of Congress on a, weekly uh, on a weekly basis, in the State Department on a monthly basis, and uh, periodically with the President of the World Bank, who is a dedicated believer and a Trump appointee. I enjoyed every minute of that. I didn't enjoy the long walks, uh, which were required because of parking being as it is. You know, you didn't park close to your apartment. You parked wherever you could find a place. And whether it was snowing, sleeting, or, or hailing, uh, you walk with an umbrella for three or four blocks to get to where you lived, and I'd repeat that. Most of my meetings were conducted by walking. I got in pretty good shape during that time. Uh, but the point is, during that time, the, my successor to Vision America took the ministry in a different direction. Pastors got lazy. And what had been a bulwark of conservatism, because the church was engaged, we almost lost a, a senator whose father is a minister who immigrated from, from uh, Cuba who ran from communism, his son was taught the Constitution by heart and recited it at civic meetings. Uh, that's how they made a name for themselves. And he's now one of the, the, the most articulate spokespersons for the things I believe in in Washington, D.C. And he almost lost to a communist. Because the church didn't show up. In Texas. In Texas. Folks, if Texas is lost... Uh, there's no hope for ever having a conservative leadership in our in our Congress and, and in our White House again. Now, I'm not here to promote a party. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Christocrat. My allegiance is to Jesus. And you'll hear me tell that to CNN. Let's uh, watch this video. My you computer's gone to sleep. Yeah, that's right. I, I will. Well, my computer's like me. As soon as it sits down, it goes to sleep. I'll know it's time to quit when I can't remember my password from my computer. All right, there we are. Uh, this this presentation can last thirty hours, thirty minutes, or or uh, or five. And uh, I'm not I'm not going to take you over time. Uh, I assume you get out here about eleven fifteen typically. Is that fair? All right, I'm going to do my best to do that. Um, the second slide has sound, so we'll see. What... <laughs>
Europe is on a crusade across America. Not to cook is a sin. He's traveling the country holding church rallies from now until election day 2008. Here's the danger you need to see. Like many of his Christian counterparts, he believes America has lost its moral footing. Christians don't lose until we quit. And his mission is to raise an army of Christian voters to fix that. Evangelical Christians are estimated between 50 and 80 million. We are the largest voting bloc in America. If 75 percent of them vote their values, we win. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Christocrat. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Whenever there is a party that presents itself as a party of values, they're going to benefit from what I do. Rick Scarborough is a Baptist preacher by trade. We were making progress when we had a conservative Congress. We're losing ground right now. An author of books with provocative titles such as Enough is Enough and Liberalism Kills Kids. His interest in politics began when he attended an AIDS prevention lecture at his daughter's public high school in Pearland, Texas, which he felt was too explicit and sent an immoral message. Every form of sex is fair game, just make sure you use a condom. Scarborough took his indignation to his congregation. Never in my entire life have I seen a group of Baptists get so mad. We wound up encouraging our people to run for public office. Church members took over the local school board and the city council. And while their victory was short-lived, Scarborough had found his calling. He turned to Jerry Falwell for guidance to take his message national. And he said, Ricky, said, since you, you're not well known, what you need are visible people who lend you their name and recognition. With Falwell's blessing and support, Scarborough started Vision America in 1998. Talk about 70 weeks of saving America, one day crusade, and so forth. Its goal? Get pastors out from behind the pulpit and involved in politics. In this wonderful system that we have, he who has the most votes wins. We're better for a pastor to be involved. He's a fixture at places where he sees America's religious foundation under assault. Places like Alabama, where a court ruled that a monument with the Ten Commandments placed on public property was illegal. If people of faith in this country don't understand at this point it is time to stand up and say enough is enough, then it is lost as a culture. Carrying on the religious rights war on liberalism, Scarborough accuses America's activist judges of being the problem. In 1962, it was the judges and not the people who said you cannot pray in public school. In 1973, it was the judges, not the people, who said that a woman had the right to kill a baby in their womb. It was judges, not the people in Massachusetts, who opened the floodgate for, for homosexual marriages. Scarborough's solution? One impeachment of a judge legislating from the bench would serve notice to all the judges that it's no longer going to be tolerated. And once again, you would have judges doing what they were put there to do. On its face, it is an evil, wicked law. 
he gets really riled up about pending congressional legislation that would expand federal hate crimes law to include homosexuals. I have nothing against homosexuals as people, but it's going to declare that if you preach God's word and say that Romans 1 is applicable to this society and that homosexuality is in fact a sin as the Bible says, you're speaking hate speech and the next step then is fining the preacher or incarcerating the preacher for speaking out to what he biblically believes. Critics call that scaremongering, a conservative Christian who wants to impose his moral values on the entire culture, a man who infuriates people. I'm, I'm very sorry about that. I'm infuriated that my children were forced sex education that taught them that I was about to say something that was pretty uh, too direct, too direct for church. But uh, I described what they were advocating. Uh, this, she went on shortly after that to say, Scarborough's uh, victories were short-lived. Uh, there's a quote up here that was right from the documentary. Uh, and she tried to make a point that, yeah, we were having success, but it wouldn't last long. And so what I've been doing for the last uh, 20, uh, last 15 years, whatever the length of time since this documentary came out, is trying to show people that our victories were not short-lived. I want to illustrate it by mine. This lady had never been in politics in her life. She was a school teacher. But she realized that if she didn't do something, nobody would. She ran for the state legislature and got elected, served until her death. And the high school there, the brand new high school in Pearland, uh, that, that city is exploding now and they're building schools all over the place, is named after Glenda Dawson, first Baptist church member who never thought about politics, who got involved. But there were others. Uh, Kevin Cole was 30 years old when I left. We just ordained him as a deacon. He's now in his 50s, and he just got elected mayor of Pearland, the fastest-growing suburb in all of Texas. Uh, to his left, your right, is a gentleman named Ed Thompson. He sold insurance. Ed Thompson was the most unlikely person you've ever met to run for city council or anything like that. But he did serve on the city council. Then he ran for the state legislature. He's still there serving. And then Randy Weber. Randy opposed me when I got involved in politics in Pearland because he went to a different church. He didn't believe preachers should be involved in politics, should never bring it up. And he made it known that he didn't like it. Now, he was a chameleon on our city council. There were two conspiring evil men on that city council. There were two that were not so bad. But Randy was the one that kind of made it. He went from one side to the other side. And he made it known that he didn't like the Baptist preacher being involved in politics. But he allowed his daughter to go to youth camp with our kids one summer. And her life was changed dramatically. So I looked up one Sunday morning to a packed auditorium at 3,000 members. Our auditorium at that time was 1,100. And we were always packed. On the very back row in walks Randy Weber and his whole family. I nearly fell out of the pulpit. But I made it a point to catch him as soon as the service was over. And we, I took him out to lunch and I found out Man, I like this guy. Uh, we become good friends. Shortly thereafter, they joined, and I baptized he and his oldest son into our church family. He'd been saved previously, but he'd come from a denomination that sprinkled, and so he wanted to be baptized. He became a good friend. When I taught Bible study in Washington, D.C., after he served on our city council, and then in the state legislature for three terms, he's now in his third term, running for his fourth, as a U.S. congressman, and is one of the most conservative Christ-centered congressman we have, Randy Weber. And then finally, to the far right, he was a 
practicing attorney. His wife was my assistant. He decided, you know, I need to do something. So he ran for district judge and he got elected. He's retiring at the end of this year after 20 years on the bench. You can make a difference. You know, the best person to run for public office is somebody who says, I'll never do it. Because people who lust for power and attention never, never stand their ground when it really gets tough. Uh, we are, we've got legislators all over the place who go, are in church today. But I'll tell you what, they can be bought and they're being bought and our country's being destroyed. The best place to start is at the local level. Uh, we called it city council. They, you call it something else here. Uh, say it again. Select board. Why not run? Oh, I couldn't do that. Why not? Why not run for a, uh, an elective office? Uh, why not run for the school board? That's where my focus is right now. My ministry began fighting an illicit, godless school assembly. I am now dedicated to Light Nye, doing everything I can to get our public schools back. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered we're not losing our kids when they go off to college. We're losing them in the elementary ages. Because the left understood that's when their minds are being shaped. And while parents were, you know, doing their thing, trying to make a living, these, uh, these uh, doctrinaires, invaded, first of all, were brainwashed in our liberal schools and then went into the public schools and they're infecting our kids and recruiting our kids into godless schemes that are unimaginable right now. Children are, are, are being uh, talked into changing sex. Uh, they're being, being given drugs to, to uh, alter their sexual behavior and their sexual organs and literally having their organs removed. And in many cases, those things are being done without a, pa without a, a parent even knowing it until the actual surgery takes place. We're going to talk more about that if we have time. But uh, we decided in 2016, Tommy and I, that we're going to change direction. We're going to go to Washington. And I was done with all that. And I've told you that, so I won't spend much time uh, dwelling on that. Then the birth of Recover America in 2018, and we're, we literally are starting from scratch again. But we need as a people to see America with moral clarity, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with our certain unalienable rights. There is your voting, voter's guide, right there. Men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now what are they? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, which John Locke had taught them, meant the ability to make money and start your own business and live your life, not being controlled by the government. We, we started that way, became the fastest, greatest, fastest growing greatest nation in the history, in history. And now it's all disintegrating right before our eyes because of the fact that the government has its hands in everything we do. Our founders created a small government, gave the states powerful rights, your state was the first one to recognize that you had a right to carry because of the Constitution, not because of a law passed by Congress. Uh, I don't know that, you're still, that you kept that, but we liked it, and we now have that in Texas. Um, the first great awakening ended spiritual, or excuse me, ended the divine right of kings. Until that first awakening, which we look back now and we, 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 we call it the Enlightenment or a lot of different names, but because of the printing press and the, and the gospel spreading, Christians began to recognize these kings aren't sinless. They're just men like us. And 
People gave their lives to throw off the yoke of, of the bondage of these kings demanding that they could do anything, even, and even purchase indulgences from the church. Prearrange their sin and pay for it. People rose up through that off. And you know what? It set the entire world free until we came to COVID. And once again, we imposed the divine right of governors and, and mayors and, and uh, uh, people uh, in the World Health Organization. Uh, as sheep, we follow every command. Uh, vaccine is supposed to protect us. Well, the most vaccinated man in America just had two cases of COVID back to back. We won't discuss all of that, but uh, there's pretty strong evidence more people have died from the vaccination than COVID in America now. Especially when you realize that so many of those counted as COVID deaths were older people who had other issues as well that were counted. My mother was one of those. Uh, they wouldn't even let us get in the room where she was at in her dying days in her late in her 80s. Uh, finally, when they decided she was too far gone to recover, they allowed us because I demanded it. Uh, to, to hug her physically. And so I got in bed with her, laid my arms around her, and loved her, and prayed for her. You know what? She wound up right going right back to assisted living a week later because she recovered. All she needed was a touch. And they pronounced her dead. Now, she did die later, and she was labeled as a COVID death. But she was 88 years old, with diabetic, with all kinds of issues. And there were a lot of those deaths like that. We won't argue that here. Uh, you might disagree with that. Uh, we're under a satanic assault. It's called the cancel culture. It refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support or canceling public figures, companies, and individuals. Uh, our part of the country, statues like yours, have been destroyed. Uh, they love to cancel people like young Nicholas Sandman. You remember the story. He was there on this wonderful outing with this church. He had earned this special privilege. His eyes were this big round when he walked around the Capitol and see all the, these important people until he was accused of being a racist. And I mean CNN and every uh, other major news or outlet, uh, Washington Post, they all labeled him a racist. Well, when the actual footage and taping that were recorded uh, revealed he wasn't the aggressor and that all he was doing is standing there and smiling like he'd been trained to talk, he ended up being the, the winner and uh, CNN and some of the other news sources settled out of court for millions of dollars. He got the last laugh. But you know, can you imagine what it was like to be 16 years old and have the world think you're racist? They cancel history. They cancel public property. They've canceled our police. You're cut police by $1 billion. Los Angeles by $150 million. Austin, $150 million. Per capita, that was the most of any city. And what do we get for it? Rampant crime where old people now are being kicked and, 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 and just pummeled by these gangs that don't spend a day in, in jail because of it. Beloved, the amount of money they cut wasn't even relevant. It was the, it was the fact that we told the police they weren't valued. And that's why record numbers of New York policemen are walking away without their pensions. Because they, I mean, they'd rather live than get shot. Where's it going to lead? Now, folks, the Bible talks about a day when violence is the, is the rule of law or the rule of the nation and that people's hearts begin to fail them for fear because of the violence. It talks about the young rising up against the old. Go read Isaiah chapter 3, which is, is the heart of the first edition of, of uh, Enough is Enough. 
nine signs of a nation that turns its back on God. Clearly laid out. We are living in that. The only hope is the end of that chapter. He says, say to the righteous, it will be well with him. There's a hint that there can be revival. The Supreme Court through the last, uh, through my lifetime has been the primary tool of the canceled culture. And it was the courts that canceled prayer and Bible study in our schools. Canceled the moral law. Said you couldn't post the Ten Commandments. Canceled marriage. Now, let me just tell you the difference between law-abiding Christian citizens and the other side. When all this was happening, beginning with Roe v. Wade and the death of 60 million unborn children, the church and Christians didn't rise up and start burning down buildings or screaming and, and, uh, and running around and, and uh, destroying public property. Uh, we marched up to the, as many as hundreds of thousands of people one day a year. We prayed together. We prayed in our churches. We started clinics to help unwed mothers and help them understand that there's a baby in their womb. And we worked through the, 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 the constitutional rights that we had and finally elected a president who put three conservatives on the Supreme Court and now things are changing again. That's the, that's the hope you have that we can have revival. Because you see the three Supreme Court judges, but there are hundreds of appellate court judges that were appointed by the same man who understand their job is to interpret the law based on the Constitution, not write it. But what is the left threatening to do? Your two senators in this state. Add some more judges that, that, that will turn the tide the other way. Uh, people are destroying public property and attacking judges. And, and uh, no one will, will even enforce the law to give these judges the security they deserve. Beloved, you understand this, don't ever forget it. Anyone who will demand the right to kill a baby... Nothing else is a stretch. If you'll kill an unborn child, or if you'll fight for the right to do it, then nothing else that, that happens is a stretch. And that's why we live in an age of such lawlessness. Uh, they have worshipped at the shrine. This is their worship. Sacrificing the unborn on the altar of our indulgence. You know, um, don't, I don't have time to go any further, but you understand. Uh, they canceled families. The saddest day, in fact, when I decided it was time for me to get out of this work, was the day they lived the, the people's house in rainbow colors. Uh, they took a symbol God gave us of deliverance from judgment and, and stole it from us. God help us. SCOTUS canceled life. Uh, these rulings were celebrated by the left. The Supreme Court of the United States wrote laws that Congress would never pass. And the people would never allow them to pass it. We'd just throw them out. But they were forced upon us. Donald Trump appointed three new justices to the Supreme Court. Listen, Trump was not my first choice. He was not my second choice. He was not my third choice. But when he was the only choice... I embraced him with all my heart because I saw the other side and knew what would happen to America if that person got elected. Beloved, you do not have an option to set on elections. You're going to stand before God and give an account for what you did with the freedom you were given, 
If you don't believe in voting, if you don't believe in participating in electing your public leaders, then you need to move to a country where it's not allowed. For you to take the freedoms purchased by the blood of soldiers like the one on that, on that beautiful monument across the street and then not even participate. God help you. Repent. Repent. How dare you not take the sacred privilege you have of choosing your rulers and even participating. Do I sound like I'm trying to get invited back? Beloved, listen. God put me on this earth, left me on this earth, gave me good health and the ability to do what I do for one reason. To find the pastors who will do something. Your pastor is one of them. He's a rare, rare find. Especially in this state. I had a uh, $200,000 grant given to me to work in New Hampshire right at the height of when I was doing all this. And uh, after spending a month here, I gave most of the money back and said, there's not enough pastors up there to do anything. God help us. Where are the pastors? Someone asked me in the course of the last two days, how do we overcome fake news? I mean, how do, how do, how do we tell the people the truth? And my answer was the pulpit. In the era of our founding, the pastor was typically the most educated man in the community, and he was the one man that had the free time to communicate about state affairs and what was going on with their elected officials. And when people came to church, part of the role of the pastor was to educate the people on what the issues were so they could know how to vote knowledgeably. I'm going to tell you, the only thing worse than not voting is voting wrong. You should never enter that polling place without knowing what every person that you're going to own the list down to the last stands for. And that, that information is available. You'll just go and find a voter guide. You can take a voter guide in with you. I have to because I don't know all these races in detail. But don't just go in there and start pulling levers. Well, I told you we'd be out here at 11.15. There's so much more in this. But here's the bottom line. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. So then, because thou art neither cold nor hot, but just lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, poor, blind, and miserable, and naked. Jesus speaking, I counsel thee to buy me gold that's been tried in the fire. The real thing. Let me anoint your eyes while I sat, so you can really see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in to him and I will sit down at his supper table and sup with him, and he with me. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We are living in the Laodicean age, but for those who repent, there's the opportunity to sit at the very table of our Lord. I have not given up on America. I'm going to die facing the enemy. I encourage you to build a beachhead for Christ in this community right here. I encourage you to network with other Christians who hold your beliefs. Who are not, listen, if you're, if you're wondering if every word of this Bible is true, then you're of no value to, to, to anything that will change the culture. That's, you don't argue the Bible. Find pastors and find lay people in those churches who start from the premise the Bible's true. So they're 
discussing, you know, whether one life matters more than another. And uh, they're not discussing all of these other uh, issues and say, well, I, 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 I don't, I'm not sure when life begins. And I don't know if the babies, maybe we should have abortion. If that's you, get out of my way. Find people who start on the foundation of truth and then work together to find candidates for the lowest offices. And don't make a big deal out of it because nobody will know you're doing it. And I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll overwhelm them with 200 votes. This part of Vermont is your responsibility. And you either sit back and watch it fall, or you can say, I'm going to take my stand. I'm going to do the best I can. You know, all God expects is that you do what you can, where you can, when you can, as long as you can, as often as you can, as well as you can, and that's all you expect to do. He didn't call you to be me. He didn't call you to be Pastor Henley. called you to be you, full of God. Do what you can, when you can, where you can, as often as you can, as well as you can. And I'll guarantee if you do that, you'll start seeing this, this community turn around. Now, is it without cost? No, they'll come after you. Uh, the left, uh, the day Roe v. Wade was decided, the greatest... Uh, the greatest disappointment I had is that there weren't millions of Christians on the streets celebrating because it was such an answer to prayer. But boy, the left turned out and they've been camped out in Kavanaugh's house ever since, threatening his family. So there's a cost. Most Christians want to hide until Jesus comes. God forgive us. Father, forgive me for going long. I pray in Jesus' name uh, that someone would be ignited in this, in this flock. Pray someone watching by Zoom would suddenly have a change of heart, a change of mind. I pray this church would flourish because it has a godly pastor. I pray this church would never have a financial need because of the faithfulness of the pastor and his wife and because you're here. Lord, I pray you take that which came from you and multiply it and let the rest fall to the ground as the dung that it is. I pray that in Jesus' name. Pastor Henry, I'm turning the service over to you. that position, went back to Texas, reorganized, and we used to be Vision America, now we're Recover America, and we're doing the same thing we were doing, but because of limited means at this point, we've grown a national ministry, a national brand, and a lot of resources. We had to buy equipment, we had, I mean, we started from scratch. We're now a team of about five, uh, well, actually seven full and part-time members. Uh, we just set up a studio and bought all the television equipment. We're gonna start doing videos, we're going to do the best we can to reach as many as we can as long as we can. But we're focused on school board races. Right in Texas, we, we captured, if I had time, everybody said that HISD, the Houston Independent School District, with 230,000 students, it been, it's it not had a conservative on its board in a decade. That school board, I mean, that school system is $3 billion in debt. And they, they have the lowest, they can't read, they can't write. 
They're all about two grades behind, but they can tell you everything you want to know about every kind of sex there is. So we took it on. I had a preacher at the first meeting we had say, then it can't be done. You're wasting your time. So I didn't invite him to any more meetings. But when the election came, we won two of the five open seats. And then I permit one of them was a Baptist preacher got elected. Now two conservatives on that board. And the next time around, we're going to get two or three more. There were three open seats in the third largest school district in Texas, which is Cy Fair, suburb of Houston. 160,000 students. They ran as a block. We got behind them. We got pastors behind them. Won all three seats. And that school now is close to being led by a conservative slave. We're now focused on seven of the largest school districts that are having elections in November. Uh, three in Austin, around Austin, two in Houston, and the other out in Midland. How far is that from Coleman? Isn't that the same direction? Well, we're going, we're going to Midland, and we're going to win school board seats on all of those. We've already identified the activists in the area, the conservative pastors. We've already started mailing, wrote a personal letter to a bunch of them, and we'll start meeting with them, and we know what the issues are. We're going to try to win those seven school districts. But if we get people voting in those very populated districts, it will impact the statewide elections. So that's what we're doing. We're doing it with all our heart. Uh, we have several churches that support us monthly. It's one of our mainstays. I would love to be connected to this church in some small way. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, you think uh, that guy, Brad Lagan, I bet he's going to be able to keep Texas? Well, he's, he, he, he's, he suddenly realized he's a conservative. And he's been away without leave for the last few years. But he's, he's waking. And it's going to take everything we've got to keep in that seat. Only because of the millions of dollars flowing into the coffers of Beto work right now. But I, I, we are confident that he and Dan Patrick both are going to be reelected, as well as our Attorney General, uh, Ken Paxton, who's speaking at a fundraiser for me next month. I don't want to keep it, but if you have a question, go ahead. Um, I, I live in Burlington. Yes, sir. I've been there about 25 years. And so I brought it. I've got it. Jack, I brought it to the city This and I don't remember where I read it, but I was, I was reading a book and it said you could have three options. One is to get into the fight, as you suggest. One is to exit the fight because of the lost cause. And then the third option was something similar to a Peter's person. And this morning I was reading Genesis Part on Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels told yes. Lot to exit Sodom um, that they were going to destroy it. So in that case, God took the exit. And my question is so most likely I will lose again, but I, I, at least I get the word out. Let me ask you a question. In the, first, the other three times you ran, uh, how many Christians showed up? Do you have any idea? Burlington. I know. Not many, right? Yeah. How, how, how many votes would it have taken for you to win? What one? In the closest race, in the closest race, how many votes won that the seat? Way back when, eighty-two thousand. I ran for city council. I got forty percent of votes. Wow. So, so that's way back when. I, that can't happen. So if the churches are united, you have been elected. You want you want to stand for my politics. There, there are people in my neighborhood that are supposed Christian, 
but their consciousness. They don't they don't see themselves as Christians. They see themselves as political animals or progressives. Only secondarily do they see themselves as Christians. So my question is what when do I, By the way, I, those are not Christians. When do I stop and when do I exit? And why shouldn't I exit? When is it time to run? That's a question you'll have to answer. But you, you, you will stand before God and give an account for it. Um, I, I can't answer that. Uh, there's one who answer but it's yourself. But thank you that you tried. Uh, I know you've been a, a great expense. But the secret then to a Christian, a, a real believer being elected, or other believers showing up, and for, unfortunately, they don't show up. Ed Young, uh, pastor of Second Baptist Church of Houston, is one of the most aggressive, outspoken pastors that I know of, of on crucial issues of our day. He always promotes during election cycles. He puts people in the back of the church with with all the information, and he registers the people. He urges them to be registered. When we sat down with him, not myself, but one of my board, two of my board members, he said, our people are 100% registered. I know they are. And so one of my board members put up, finally, uh, about $60,000. But they geofenced the campus, uh, the main campus of Second Baptist Church. Um, the church has 80,000 members. And they geofenced and they followed cell phones. If, if, if three phones went to a house, to a house they figured that's a family. Uh, they diagnosed uh, through the, the geofence uh, who the adults were by the activities. And they, listen, this is done all the time. It's not illegal. Uh, commercial. You know those when you, if you say, I wonder how much our house is worth. All of a sudden you get all these uh, companies coming to you and, and offering financial deals and, and how to sell your house. They, they watch what you do with your phone. So we use technology and we geofence the, the church. And we discovered there were 16,000 regular tenders who were not registered to vote. Because the voter registration file is a matter of public record. So you take uh, these addresses, three phones went to that house, that's probably a household. Take that address and go and see the, the, the records. And, and we found thousands and thousands of these regular tenders who were not registered. So he did a 60 second video that we then sent, my donors, uh, to every member, and they started registering like crazy. They ended up registering thousands of new voters. But that's a, one of the most aggressive churches in America. And their people, after hearing it and hearing it, were not participating. And that's the story of the church. But that's got to stop. I mean, I'm telling you, that Satan is at the door now. He's after your children. I, if I showed you the slides, uh, I was going to show you six books that are most uh, of our school libraries now. In some states, mandated by, by federal money. This is the gay VCs. Gay VCs. They teach them how to save the ABCs by using expressions like L is for lesbian, uh, D is for drag, and um, and and they're cute. They got, it's cute, beautifully illustrated with children in them. Let me just put this one. G G is for gay. It's a word that implies you're a girl who likes girls or a guy who likes guys. And they go through the entire alphabet and then memorize all of these expressions and learn what it, this is a recruitment tool, folks. Now, when are we going to stop this? They'll do two things take our kids out of public schools, homeschool them, put them in church school, put them in Christian school, get the kids out, send the adults in as board members, as teachers, as administrators, 
it's time for, uh, for seasoned Christian adults to go back into public schools. We can't abandon them because there are millions of kids that come from impoverished homes that are locked into that setting. So we've got to take it back. You say, it's too late. It's not too late for me. Maybe too late for you. But I'm, I'm working in seven of the largest school districts in Texas. In November, we're already, I mean, we're spending money, time, and energy, videos, and everything we can do to change people's minds. I'll pray for you. That decision. Are you running, currently running now? Yeah. And she's in 13. She's in 13. Nothing we can do for you. Well, we certainly pray for you. Well, I've been getting Burlington ballots mailed to my door, too. <laughs> Find some new illegal aliens and send them over. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I'll tell you, I. Father, we lift up Tom and his cause. We have lift up all the churches and Christians. There to put their name on the ballot and place in the So many around them. And Christians are going to lift them up. And we pray first of all for the protection of the family and families. We pray, Father, that you get his name out to your people and that the bones would count. Amen. We have a special uh, intervention on his part that would encourage him to continue sticking his neck out there on that top of the rock. We pray you for Rick. We thank you for his enthusiasm. We pray, Father, you continue to keep his energy high. I don't know where he gets it all, but we thank you for that, Lord, and pray you keep him going. We pray for Texas, Lord. We know oftentimes, Lord, I think if I have to leave this state, I'm going to flee to Texas. But what's going to happen in Texas? What's, where are we going to go? We pray for Texas, that Christians down there would hold the line. And we pray that you'd wake up your church and remind us. Thank you for this challenging and informative time. In Jesus' name, amen.